People have told stories of the strange and supernatural for centuries. Tales of the restless dead return to haunt the living. Whispers of damned souls doing the devil's bidding on earth. Rumors of inhuman things that still hunt the old forests, untouched by the glare of modern life. There may be more to these stories than you could ever imagine. Join us tonight as we delve into the deeper truth inside these mysteries. Ahoy, and welcome to the show. Right, first of all, sorry for the delaying shows. Uh, we've been away at Canuck Chase looking for ghosts and cryptids and all kinds of things. Um, we spent the day hiking and we went to a, a war cemetery. So it's actually a German war cemetery there where there's over 5,000 uh, German soldiers buried. Uh, apparently it's, well by all accounts it's really active and there's uh, many accounts of even black-eyed children as well as ghosts being seen there but unfortunately we didn't see a single thing or hear a thing all night. Uh, that's in the graveyard and the woods. Uh, beautiful place though, uh, well worth checking out but yeah no ghosts so we'll have to go back. You know these things are just pop luck, you've got to be there at the right place right time. We have got uh, an event on soon that we're organising in Grantham, so hopefully we get better luck there, and if we do see anything, obviously we'll share it with you. If you get a chance, check out the UK Paranormal Radio Network. It's now available as a podcast. Uh, we are a proud member of it, and there's plenty of other shows there that you might be interested in. So if you get a chance, check that out. Now, today we've got on returning guest Linda Godfrey. Okay, so most of you will be familiar with their work regarding the Dogman. Beast of Bray Road, etc. Well, she's got a new book, which is I Know What I Saw. And anyone that's had a strange encounter will, well, you know, that, that phrase will ring true because you get told by people that weren't there that start telling you what it was, you know, swamp gas, balloon, uh, all these different things. And you know what you saw. And so I think the book, I think that's a clever title. Um, so she comes on to talk a little bit about a little bit about the book, mostly about what what she believes, you know, her interests and stuff. So I think you'll find it interesting. I certainly did. And if you want to get the book, then if you listen at the end, she'll tell you where to get it from. We have got a copy of the book, and we're thinking about giving it away as, as part of a giveaway, um, which will probably give the details of that on the next episode. Right. Joe Gill posted into our Facebook group the other day uh, a sighting that happened, a UFO sighting that happened over Grimsby. Um, I think it was back in April. Uh, it's an interesting story. The pictures are fantastic. So if you get a chance, go to the Facebook group, Realm of Supernatural podcast, and have a look at the pictures on there. And then I followed it up with another sighting that happened just the other night, or a couple of nights back now. And the article in the Telegraph, the Grimsby Telegraph, uh, goes like this. Just, just actually, I better just tell you where we are first. Yeah, we are based in Grimsby, which is in the UK. It's on the east coast, and from here we overlook the North Sea. Um, a lot of UFO activity takes place over the North Sea, uh, both over it and under it. Um, so we get a lot of activity. The, the, the most common UFO at the moment round here being seen is this like egg. It's almost like an egg shape. Uh, it's got no lights on it, almost like a blimp, you know. Um, but people see. I mean, one guy was driving down the road and it sort of came over the road real slowly. And he thought it was an airship, and he was driving under it. And then all of a sudden, it just zipped backwards the other way. 
And as he came to a clearing, because he, he was flanked by trees, this road, and as he came to a clearing, he could see it just disappearing over the horizon. So it had obviously gone at some speed. Um, so, you know, that's been seen quite a bit. Uh, the UFO in question the other night was three balls of glowing light um, in a triangle formation. I'll give you the article here anyway. So this is from the Grimsby Telegraph. It says, Really strange lights caught on camera hovering over Grimsby. Several people say they saw unusual lights flying low in the sky over the town centre. Some really strange things are apparently being going on over the skies in Grimsby. Several people got in touch to say they spotted unusual lights over the town shortly before dawn on Thursday morning. The unidentified objects were seen flying low over the town centre and are said to have disappeared mysteriously quite suddenly. Witnesses also say there was no sound accompanying the lights. One picture sent to us appears to show three distinct lights which do not seem to be connected by any visible object. Chelsea Salt told Grimsby Live, my mum's partner saw them on his way to work. He stopped to take a picture and when he turned around at the railway crossing and looked back, they had gone. No noise or anything. It was really strange. Apparently there were other people there too, stopping their cars and taking pictures. Meanwhile, Paul Swift said quite a few people at work had also witnessed the strange lights. It goes on to say that, is this military aircraft, drones, or something a bit more alien? Please let us know. So they're basically calling for other people that have... We know people take uh, were stopping taking photographs of this. So they were asking for more people to uh, send the pictures in that they got. There's one picture in that article uh, where you can see this object, and then they've zoomed in on it. But it, it is, to all intents and purposes, three glowing balls... Glowing orbs, you know, in a, in a triangle formation. But what's interesting about this story is, well, for me anyway, is that my dad works just the other side of Grimsby in a place called Immingham. And it was about, he said it was about quarter past five in the morning. And he looks over Grimsby and he saw these bright lights. And he watched them for a little bit and he noticed there was no navigation beacons or anything like that, on, you know, like on a conventional aircraft, nothing flashing, just these steady balls of light. He said there was. Not moving up, down, left or right. It was just basically static in the sky. And he could see that there was in a triangle formation. Anyway, he watched them for a little while. And eventually they moved out in the triangle formation. So they just moved out to make a, a bigger triangle uh, formation, if you like. And then they moved back again to the original size. And then he said they just blinked out and it was gone. Um, now for him, he's still waiting. He's waiting for more articles to appear in the Telegraph to see... If someone can tell him what it was, because he's expected a conventional explanation for this, whether it was drone or some military aircraft or whatever, or a trick of light. It, anyway, he's waiting for that. I don't think you're going to get one. Um, I think most of us who know even a little bit about UFOs know these things are here all the time. Um, what they want, nobody knows. That's the question now, really, should be not are they here, but what do they want? Um, I think it was even Stephen Hawkins said that the fact that they don't show themselves to us, or not not show themselves, but don't get make contact, he seemed to think that uh, what led him to believe that must be for a sinister reason. Um, yes, I'm not sure about that, but it's definitely intriguing. Uh, but if you want to check that out, go to the Facebook page, which is Realm of Supernatural Podcast. 
and you can check that article out there and you can see the pictures and hopefully people will send more in and then I'll obviously post them up but yeah that was it so let's get on with the show so now I give you Linda Godfrey before we get into some of the encounters from the book I wanted to ask you obviously you you, you know by profession you're a journalist and um I just wanted to ask you what other journalists feel about the work that you do. Well, I feel that, um, you know, as long as I'm checking my sources and doing my due diligence and resource re- research, that um, it's not much different than technically, why, technically than um, trying to find out facts and um, write about any other topic because basically what I'm doing is telling people's stories, helping them tell their stories about things that they saw and then trying to kind of suss it out and uh, figure out if it could have been something else and um, check out all possibilities. And then generally I just like to leave people with what possibilities there are, what the, what the witness thought it was, if I reach any conclusions, and then just let them draw their own conclusions from that. So uh, to me, it's it's pretty much like most journalism. Absolutely, I, that's what I yeah. I wondered if they would view it that way, or if they'd view it just as um, you know, just total disregard for it without even looking at the evidence, kind of thing. You know, I'm sure that happens. You know, yeah. in fact, I know that it does. But um, you know, I said in my very first uh, story about it in my first book, and really ever since that. When it comes to the upright canines, I don't believe, and I never have believed, that people are seeing actual Hollywood-style werewolves. You know, the way the way we think of them in our um, pop culture, where there's you know Lon Chaney growing whiskers and his fangs are getting long and his eyes are popping and his claws are coming. You know, yeah. I just believe that that is what anybody's been dealing with, and probably ninety percent at least of these things are, as described, um, could be possibly explained by upright wolves or coy wolves or even large dogs in some cases. The question is, why are they walking upright? And th- which is my main definition of what is now usually called a dogman. You know, it's not normal uh, for wild animals to do that. I've searched far and long calling animal specialists, wolf specialists, to ask if they are surveilling any wolf packs that they've seen upright or bipedal behavior in, never had a one. The closest I came was um, an elderly trapper in a bar up in northern Michigan, and he said he's had one stand up to kind of confront him um, because he had it in a trap. You know, I'm sure that it was scared to death, and he said he has seen them stand up to sort of um, so show themselves as a little more frightening than they are, but they usually drop back right down to all fours. So okay. why are people seeing them? I'm still looking for that <laughs> the answer to that question. Well, indeed, yeah. What sort of trap was it that he had it in? Um, he didn't go into that. I, you know, it couldn't have been the regular foot trap where I don't think it would have been able to stand up. He mm. might have had more of a snare or something. I, I didn't get that technical with him on it, but, um, that was what, what he had said was the one, the one experience that he had. Yeah. So, in essence then, what we're describing when we're talking about the dog man is, like, like you said there, just an upright, 
canine. You know, it's not it's not it's not half man, half dog in that that regard. It's it's just like pure dog, but upright. Yeah, and again, I'd say ninety percent. There are certain um, types that sound a lot more like the black phantom dogs of of uh, Europe and especially um, Great Britain. Yeah. There are some that just are um, different altogether. There are some that are seen around Native American land reserves that seem more like what they would call a skinwalker. But most reports say that it's something that looks like a wolf or a German shepherd with pointed ears on top of the head, long muzzle, fangs. Sometimes they'll even... Um, mention it as resembling Anubis, the Egyptian god of the dead, which has uh, short, shiny black hair, but it can also have dark-colored or gray shaggy shaggy fur as well. So um, the fur color and texture varies about the same amount that you'd expect to find within any pack of wolves out in the wild. So that doesn't surprise me. But it also does not walk flat-footed like humans or um, Bigfoot is said to do. It walks on its toe pads and therefore it has a leg that looks kind of funny to us. And most people, if they've got a dog, they don't think a lot about its, I don't know, how it's put together. But a dog or any kind of canine is walking what's called digitigrade on, on the toe pads and where we would expect to, people will say, well, it, it was walking on its toes, but it was and really well, but its leg was bent backwards. And what they're seeing is kind of pointing backwards. On us, that would be the heel. On an animal, it's usually called the hock. Yeah. And so they see this hock kind of pointing backwards, and kind of your your mind just kind of takes it as a knee because that's where our knee would be. But the knee would be actually farther up the canine's leg. And so, you know, just seeing this thing, most people don't, uh, really think to go through that process of analyzing um, its, uh, you know, but its its structure. So, but that's when people say that to me, then I know that they're really making observations of the creature and not just inventing something from their head because that's something that they saw. They're trying very hard to convey it to me, and then when I explain it to them, they're like, "Oh, yes." You know, I should have figured that out, but that's exactly what it was doing. Uh, one slight difference is that many people will say it had paws and there were claws, but they looked the, the hands looked more like hands than than uh, paws. They had longer fingers on them, longer claws. That may be an adaptation that goes with animals that are able to do this, or you know, I don't really know what the explanation is for that. Um, they have normal color eye shine, green, yellow. Um, so uh, in every other way, they look like canines. Yeah. When we're talking about hands rather than paws, are we are we are we talking about a thumb as well, or? I'm sorry about what? A thumb. Do they have Do they have a thumb, or is it just fat, like fingers almost? Oh, I see. Um, there's no opposable thumb, except for a few exceptions that I think you where you're dealing with a different type of entity or or creature altogether but again the most of them um, will ha- now I have had people say that they've seen it cup its hands 
to and then lap from water in its hands or paws. I'm using I'm using the word hands because I hear that so much from witnesses. But normally, um, if a canine goes down to water to drink, they will just stick their head in and lap it up, you know, in, in their muzzle. Well, people have seen these things that walk bipedally lap it up from their palms, which is very unusual. Um, I've also had somebody report seeing them holding like a, a piece of uh, meat or a dead animal um, in their uh, uh, lying across their their paws and eating it that way rather than normally you know if you see if your dog gets something good it'll put it down on the floor put fasten it in place with one paw and then um, you know start just chowing down that way holding it in place yeah so these behaviors are different the one other thing that is not part of the um, anatomy but more just behavioral is that many many people who see this dog man type thing will say you know it really looked like it should have been all canine but it stared at me in a way that I felt it was as interested in me as I was in it and that it was passing along some sort of message they'd say it wasn't like in English or words but I knew from what it was, the way it was looking at me, that it was saying, and then it'll say something really specific, like, like it was saying it wanted to jump on the hood of my car, or if I told anybody it would get me, that's another one that I hear frequently, or I'm better than you are, and, uh, you know, these are, these are really odd things for people to pick up from an animal, because people, especially, you know, who are working out in the wilds or whatever, have, animal confrontations every day with bears and wolves and um, coyotes and, you know, all types of different animals. And almost never have I heard, and I'm sure maybe there are some incidents, but it's just not normal for somebody to perceive that an animal is giving it a specific message. Yeah. Now, I mean, this crops up time and time again in uh, Bigfoot cases and Dogman cases. Yeah. This uh, almost... I mean, I don't want to say psychic phenomenon, but it's it's along those lines. It might just be body language. Uh, we're picking up on the um, the body body language of this creature and then determining ourselves what we think right. it's trying to convey. I suppose, but you yeah. do get these, you know, really interesting messages. Some of them you just pointed out there, and and you know that does make me wonder if if they are able to think, uh, you know, get these messages across. They also this um, that crops up time and time again. Is this this air of um uh arrogance you know yeah. um like almost you know you, you just said there some people have actually received the message you know i'm better than you you know you're right. almost not worthy um that's a good way to put it yeah, yeah and, they, they, and and from that they don't seem to attack us uh, i know there's been cases where these creatures are have, have been said to attack people i'm not saying they don't attack us but in in general they, they seem to have you know that air of arrogance where they're they're willing to walk away. You know because it's always like we're not worthy. Um, you know what what's your feelings on that? Well, to me, this is behavior where they they stop long enough to scare somebody to pieces, whether or not they have a definite message or not. And then the next thing that happens is people always say, well, then it dived back in the river, or it ran back in the woods, or it disappeared into the cornfield. It's like it then once it's made its point, it then gets out of sight. And again, that's something that's reported over and over and over again. Not always. There there are a few that 
almost seem to taunt people with their presence, mm. um, which is kind of an interesting thing. You know why? But to me, it smacks most of moves that are territorial in nature, where it has a certain area that it wants for itself. And even if you're just driving a car and passing by, if you slow up, indicating that there's something there of interest to you, well, that would then, I think, cause the same reaction, you know, if you're going to be territorial. And it is true also that many animals that normally don't walk bipedally will rear up when they are trying to give um, a message that somebody's in the wrong place and um, it's it's a very territorial move. You, you know, gorillas, yeah. Which, yeah. which are not normally upright, will stand upright. People think of them this that way, but they aren't really. Yeah. Um, they kind They're of trying to make themselves look more imposing, yeah? Right, right. They'll stand up, beat their chest, you know, tear down a little tree, whatever, hoping you'll just get out of there and it won't have to waste any of its energy on you. Mm. I think it's interesting that we see that behavior in some of the Bigfoot uh, accounts as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, you know, just as general, uh, over the years, you, your sightings uh, that have been sent to you and uh, obviously you meet people and people send these to you. Uh, have you seen a widening in, in, in the... Uh, you know, the places, the locations where you're getting these from? I mean, even other countries? Um, or is it just predominantly centered around the States for you? Oh, no, it's all over the world. And I realized that back in, um, it was in the winter of 91, 92, when I first broke the story that I called the Beast of Bray Road. Yeah. And I immediately began, as soon as it went out on AP, I began getting messages from people. And the first ones are kind of close. There was one from um, nearby Racine. Then there was one from Michigan. I had one from the Virgin Islands. Um, someone wrote and said their relative had been in occupied France during World War II and seen this out in the rural areas. So, um, And then there's Canada, of course, and South America. Um, somebody's reported it from Italy. And I think there would be many more from parts of Europe and distant places if people were able to hear of it, you know, and, and knew where to report it. And the Internet is um, kind of bringing that out now because so many more people are online. And it doesn't really matter where you are. You can tune in and find out where all they've been seen. And it's, it's really pretty astounding mm -hmm. how far flung they are. It's pretty much wherever anything is like a large canine, especially especially areas that have wolves. But um, sometimes you get into places that don't, and whatever is the top predator will often be thought of, even if um, people aren't seeing it very often, will have at least a cultural story about upright were jaguars, for instance, or um, upright hyenas, depending on, on where they live. I mean, the hyena ones always interest me, and especially when I see that report reports in the states of people witnessing hyenas and it's you know it must be something to do with the way uh, these creatures move on all fours you know with that that raised shoulders um that just sort of looks like a, a hyena from a distance you know well that that does that trait does show up almost as um a subspecies trait now and then i do have people report it and there's one of my chapters in the new book i i know what i saw is about things that I finally put a name to. I call them dire dogs. Not quite the same thing as dire wolves, 
Um, wool, dire wolves were, well, they were recently made very popular by Game of Thrones, you know, because the, the family each had their own pet dire wolf. Yeah. Um, but the dire wolves were not terribly much bigger than today's timber wolves. And some of these things, and they look very much like wolves, which, you know, and we have a lot of skeletons in the La Brea tar pits and other places in Southern California, um, to, and they haven't been, um, extinct all that long either, maybe 10,000 years, which is not very long in terms of species, you know, extinction. Mm. We found things that were considered extinct much longer than that. You know, the coelacanthin is one famous example of the prehistoric looking fish. So these people had been reporting to me since really day one back in 91, 92, along with the, the incidents that looked most like um, a a canine, you know, a normal canine wolf or maybe wolf hybrid of some kind um, or just pure wolf. Um, they'd say, I saw this thing, and that's how so many people started out, too. It's, it's amazing how everybody sort of, it's like you have this um, stock photo recognition in your head that everybody else sees it the same way, and I hear certain phrases over and over. They'll say, I saw this thing, it looked, like a huge dog, I, not really so much like a wolf. Sometimes, sometimes they'll say it's, it was very wolf-like. And they'll say, but it was the size of a Shetland pony or um, an Angus bull calf or something like that, which is really big for any type of canine and, you know, bigger than any of the large dog breeds that we know of. So, and it, and it doesn't act the same. It normally, maybe only in one or two incidents do I have it going up on its hind legs. Most of the time it stays on all four. And what they do in many cases, if the person is driving, they will chase the vehicle yeah. at whatever speed the vehicle is going. And they'll, it seems like they'll either be right next to the driver's window and then the, pe- the people or the driver will notice that its shoulders are at the same height as the bottom of the window of, of a truck or some large vehicle, which is really, really large uh, for any canine-type animal. Um, more frightening is that many of them will follow closely to the back of the vehicle and every once in a while kind of bump the vehicle with their shoulder mm-hmm. like they're trying to get it to go off the road. You know, And I had one um, man write me that it actually did make him veer into the bit into the ditch uh, for just a, a moment, and he was able to steer himself back on the road, luckily, and it fell back then, and uh, he was able to get away from it. But I call these dire dogs because they remind, they do have um, that description of the lower hyena rear end many times, not always. There, there are some variations, but I do hear that. They also often are reported to have a, a rough around the back of their neck, kind of like the hyenas do. And they have um, a bigger head than you would expect from the body, but it's and it's wider, which indicates that it's designed to crunch bones and bigger things, much much like the way um, a hyena's head is shaped, except it's bigger. Yeah. So, and I hadn't been really publishing all my stories about these because normally when I write a book, I'm trying to not just make a big compilation. Um, of scary stories, but I like to have some angle that I'm working that will help maybe to figure something out about these creatures. You know, I'm looking for all examples of 
ones that are doing all a certain activity or living in a certain area, mm. whatever. And then when I began doing this book, I realized that I was getting more of these very large canines um, on all fours and that I really had an obligation, I felt, to do something with them and show that there did seem to be this other branch that were um, more aggressive in that they're trying to bounce vehicles off the road. They're bigger. They've got a differently shaped head with these big crunching ears or crunching uh, teeth. So um, and the ears I was thinking, I was trying to, um, my mind was going one way and I was talking another. But by the ears, I mean that they're most of the time pointed upright like the normally described uh regular upright canines, but sometimes they do have that doggy look to them. Once in a while, people will see the shorter flappy ear or they'll see um, just, you know, something about it that looks like the build of a dog. So they they do have some variation. And so I thought, well, dire dog is a good way to say it. You know, it shows us there's a difference from it and the dire wolves, but that it Still, um, has, it's, it's dire, dire means terrible. <laughs> so it, it's still a, a terrible, dire creature to come across on a winter's night, you know, when the roads are slippery and there's a smooth path into the ditch. It's interesting that it's trying to knock people off the road. It makes you wonder what would have happened to that gentleman if he'd, uh, if he had got stuck in that ditch. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. That's well, the scary part. Indeed. I mean, the book, obviously you mentioned in the book, you know, which came first, the monster or the myth. Uh, and you get this this element of uh, people believing that it's almost like, um, I mean, some think that it's a, I mean, some think it doesn't exist, obviously, a, a lot of people. Uh, some people think that it might be some sort of supernatural being, others flesh and blood. And then you get, a, 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 you know, a, a decent majority of people who believe this might be like... Um, uh, made by um, the military, etc. Um, mm-hmm. But when you see the reports and how far back they go, I mean, just in the UK, I think they go back to 1600s and beyond. Um, obviously, that t- tends to rule out military intervention. Then when you look across the um, the sighting reports from all over the world, um, again, that seems to rule that out. Uh, the supernatural thing, obviously, there's elements of that, uh, that are play in a lot of the cases, um, I, I still come down on the flesh and blood myself. But mm-hmm. in the UK, I mean, you mentioned it just there before, but we, we get a lot of sightings now of um, big cats uh, in, the, oh. in the UK. Okay, So we don't have wolves here. Um, we, we don't have big cats, but we do get a lot of, uh, a lot of sightings. Uh, just in Staffordshire, uh, in the five years in Staffordshire, the police report... Uh, came back as having, uh, you know, these are basically reports that I mentioned, uh, either in this case it was leopards, pumas, etc. They had over 1,400 reports of leopards um, in five years, Uh, 1,000 reports on pumas in five years. But, I mean, the interesting one regards this conversation is the fact that they had 409 reports of wolves, Um, Mm. 12 reports of a werewolf, and 85 reports of beasts. Um, you know, I mean, that obviously runs the gambit That's there. But lot. but we are getting these sightings reported. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like the police can do anything with that 
information um and it makes you wonder what you know where this information goes and who has it um but where where do you stand on a cover up well it's it's more to my mind a suppression mm. rather than a complete cover up it's like holding back whatever can be held back and um you mentioned the the big cats um I actually have been working on a documentary film with my son about the um, mountain lions and what everybody, if, if they see a black one, usually people call it a black panther, although technically panthers and mountain lions aren't supposed to be able to um, have black fur or to procreate together. Hmm. But but we'll kind of, I, I kind of use it because it's turned into sort of a colloquialism for everybody can then picture a mountain lion type animal with black fur. Yeah. And there's a place in central Wisconsin where the uh, environment is very, very different from the rest of Wisconsin and for much of anywhere. Um, it's all, you go from farmlands and woods to all of a sudden there's this area where there's a 20 mile line of this really unusual rose quartz and it's uh, rose-colored quartz, it is. And it's some of the oldest land formation on the entire earth right there, highly magnetic. And right around in this area, um, there's a small town called Hillsboro that has had, a, and a newspaper editor and writer started collecting these maybe um, eight, nine years ago, and then began sending them to me. Um, just he wanted them on record somewhere else. And he's finally, he's to the point where he has um, well over 150 reports just from this small area around Hillsborough, which is very hill, hills and valleys, all different kinds of elevations. Again, the rock cliffs, just exactly the rivers running through it in the valleys, just what any cougar loves. And, there are, he estimates there are many, many more. These are just the reports that people have given to him. And, uh, it's such a small population in that area that it's gotten to the point where at first people were making fun and then before they knew it, they or people they knew or relatives were all seeing it. And the interesting thing is that out of all these sightings, at most of which were in day, daylight, um, and often very close up, people were standing on their back porch or in their barn, you know, or just driving in their car and would see them. They're black. They're um, black-furred. There's a word for that, which is escaping my mind at the moment, but it'll come back to me. Um, and that's not supposed to be. Um, they're supposed to be um, tan or some other normal color if they're mountain lion. Well, different people have described these black-furred ones um, that they call panthers as having that same type of larger head for the body, um, and that's kind of how jaguars are built too. They're more, they're sturdier, they weigh more than a mountain lion, and they do have that kind of blockier, larger head. So um, Steve Stanick, who is the newspaper reporter that sent all these to me, is. Um, has developed a theory that either at, at some point, either when cougars were eliminated from most states uh, east of the Mississippi and kind of forced down to 
um, the Western states in the U.S., that they started breeding with some of these melanistic, that's the word I was looking for, melanistic black jaguars or leopards that were existing down there and made their way back. He thinks maybe some of them never um, left, but that the jaguars actually migrated up that way. And we know these things do move a lot. They have records of one going from the um, Black Hills in the western U.S. all the way to Connecticut that they tracked via DNA uh, from droppings that they found. And unfortunately, it was finally, after all that heroic, lengthy journey, the poor thing was hit by a car when it got to Connecticut. Huh? Um, there, was a, there was another one from Wisconsin that um, actually wandered out in a, from an alleyway in Chicago in one of the close-in suburbs and uh, had to be shot because it had evidently lost its fear of people and there was um, a fear of predation, which yeah. also is one of the... That, and that probably has a lot to do with um, the suppression of many reported sightings by officials because once you do go ahead and accept um, and say, yes, we have breeding populations here, then you are not only um, going to have more staff, you're going to have to collar some of them, track them, um, but you're also going to have to probably pay reparations for any farm animals that are lost. And it's interesting because I have uh, a color photo, a couple of photos of an Angus calf that somebody sent to uh, Steve Stanek and he passed it on, where it looks like it's been totally... UFO mutilated, UFO style, I should say, mutilated. What we think of is where there are surgical cuts and certain parts moved and removed and the rest is still there. And in this case, um, one of the animals was lying there. It had uh, what looked like a surgically removed space where the leg quarter should have been and also missing a tongue and it was missing... um, its ears, which seems really weird until you realize, which I didn't until a few months ago in my my research, that I finally found this is the description of what jaguars prefer. When they make a kill, if they can't eat it all right away, they will take the tongue and the ears, you know, and then go after the other parts. Whereas mountain lions prefer, mountain lions prefer to, um, they will use their, one of their index claws, which are a little bit bigger and sharper, and they'll make that cut. They'll take off a, a leg quarter if they can. Um, if they can't have time for that, they'll just cut a slit and then take out the heart and the liver and have those first. So um, here we have, and we have predation evidence of both by Hillsborough. So, one, you know, you can just see the troubles that they have once they allow this to be known and recognized and uh, I think in many communities, they just sort of ignore it professionally as best they can until it gets too, um, there's too much evidence. Yeah. I mean, here in the UK, we've, we've had the army out to these uh, big cats that have been seen and, you know, and all that, trying to obviously eliminate them. Um, but we are getting the uh, attacks on people now. Um, mm, that's scary. Yeah, they get used to humanity yeah. and that's not good. So and obviously white and uh, livestock as well. So um, I, I don't so much see it as a cover up in this country for for that 
the black cat the, 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 themselves because we do get a lot of reports on the papers here. Um, but your book then, so in there you've got a section on little people, um, which it, it's it's rare to get the stories of the little people, uh, and these are not just. I mean, they look like Bigfoots to some extent, but they are distinguishable from Bigfoots. These are not like baby Bigfoots. These are a total separate entity of them for themselves. So, have you got any reports of those that you could share? Um, yeah, I think I, I have one in here. I'll, I'll mention real quick before we go on from the cougars. Um, if you go to YouTube and look up Return to Wildcat Mountain, you can see a trailer that gives you some idea of what um, these people are, who are interviewing are saying. So I'll just, it's just Return to Wildcat Mountain on YouTube. Thanks okay. for letting me get that so people can, can see what I'm talking about. Is that your, is that your film and is it? Um, yes, my son and I are, he's actually doing all the real filming work. I'm just kind of directing and writing and uh, he's has a film degree from the Art Institute in Chicago. So, so it's, um, Cool. We're, we're hoping it can sh- help shed some light, you know, on, on some of these topics. Hmm. You, I mean, actually, before I move on to the little people, I, mean, I should ask you really. I mean, why do you, why are these cats moving? Well, oh, one of the prime, on the move, so I say. Yeah, one of the prime reasons is that a male mountain lion needs about thirty square miles of territory to call its own. Okay. And it has to have a, and it has to have a mate there too. Um, the females don't go quite as far. The male can, kind of like having a big house with several wives, <laughs> he can have a big um, range of, of uh, space to go in, and then there may be two or three females in different areas of it that then become part of his extended family. So in order to keep finding females and the land they need, they have to keep going Farther and farther, where there are, haven't been any living for a while. Yeah. So it's it's this kind of uh, push of nature that's uh, setting them out that way. And they they obviously, if they're down along the west coast, they can't go west because they'll just end up in the ocean. So east, northeast, and and north and south are the only ways they can go. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean that might be the reason that we're seeing them more and more in the UK. Then, then they just get that that population has just got to a point now where they, they can no longer hide. Right, exactly. And well, there is one more kind of interesting thing too that I'll, I'll throw into this. Um, as to their origins, I I do agree with people. I I know that there have been circuses in Wisconsin. Say, in fact, this whole um, the Bear, the Hillsboro place is adjacent to. The Baraboo Hills. Well, Baraboo has the World Circus Museum and was a frequent uh, overwintering place for years. And I have found in history books different circuses that have had leopards escape, um, you know, different big cats. So that can be a source. There are still many people raising these things privately and then find out they've got the pet from um, from beyond, not what they thought, you know. Just a bit, and, yeah. Yeah, and they let it go, um, so they can be stocked that way. But um, I, we had when we started interviewing a large number of people, we had several with uh, either Native American themselves or had Native American ties, and they'd get all done and they'd say, you know, what we believe, meaning their their um, story, their culture stories of their tribe. What we believe is that the tan ones 
are just natural animals, but the black ones are first and foremost spirit animals that can appear like normal tangible creatures, but the black ones are actually spirit animals and come from the spirit world. Okay. So that puts a whole different spin on the whole, on the topic, actually. Indeed. What I mean, what color was the one that got run over? Um, that was a tan tan colored one. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I mean, my husband has been stalked in our own backyard. He is lucky he wasn't eaten <laughs> um, about five years ago. Yeah, in Wisconsin. So, and I've had lots of people telling you know, telling me that they saw it and. So many are still afraid to let their to really tell the whole story or let their names be known because they don't want to be made fun of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ridicule factor. Yeah. So little people then. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've always found these interest very interesting because uh, when I was a kid, I was very into the idea of fairies. I, it wasn't that I believed in them, but. I just really liked to read about them and imagine them, and I was always drawing pictures of them. Yeah. I still have some of those. So when I get a story like that from someone, um, and as you say, they are fewer and far between than stories, encounter stories of the other creatures, um, I really like to get the full story as best that I can. So, and it turns out that there are several different types um, that I've been able to find. One type is definitely kind of in the phantom category where they can disappear from sight. Um, they can walk into a rock and then you've, you know, people are legendarily supposed to be able to follow them into it and um, probably never come out. That kind of, they, they look like little humans dressed in clothing. And then there is another type. Um, people some sometimes use the, the term little people for um, very small humans, human species that we know are humans because, you know, they're living and walking among us and starring in the Wizard of Oz dance troupe and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, but there are still legends about them too, which are necessary to um, peel away from the legends of the little spirit creatures. And then, there's a third kind, which appears to be um, humanoid, but they're very small. And they're not, as you said earlier, they're not like Bigfoot babies. They're uh, just a small tribe of the same, if you will. I don't know if that's appropriate, but a, a small type of the completely covered with fur human-like creatures. So there are several to deal with there. And it can get very... Um, Confusing, actually, sometimes if you're, if you're trying to sort them out. But I had several, I thought this was interesting. Um, in Victoria, Canada, um, there was a report that I had from an eyewitness who, um, actually repeat, he, he reported this to me on April Fool's Day. So I noticed that right away. I sort of trained myself to look for little red flags and I had to ask him, yeah. hey, you know, are you just, uh, you know, spoofing me? And he was, he actually hadn't thought of that himself, or he, he said he had not, and was sort of hurt that I would say that. And I tried to explain, I, I have to ask many uncomfortable questions to witnesses that I talk to. I just have to, um, such as were they drinking? Um, did they have any substance that would give them hallucinations? 
um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so he he finally, you know, won my confidence from him. And he said he had an encounter in July of 2014 of what he said it was about an elf or what I suspect was an elf. It was early morning, just before sunrise, about 5, 10 a.m. The sun was rising at 4.30, or 5.40, excuse me. And he was 37 years old at that time, delivering early morning newspapers near a wooded area around the local university in Victoria, B.C., Canada. And he said there's a wooded area right there that really surrounds the entire campus. And he was one block away from that forest entry on a parallel street. And he said the street he stood on was a higher elevation than the grounds around him, so he had a really good look at where he was. And all of a sudden, this owl began squawking, making a lot of noise, and was curious about it. So he kind of rode his uh, bicycle around the block really quickly. The bird had stopped making sounds, and he said as, uh, as his eyes became adjusted to the dark forest, he saw this elf-like creature, and the land went completely silent. It's what is called, Jenny Randall's calls, the Oz factor. It's been kind of adopted. And he was about four feet tall. There were actually a a bunch of them. He said there were a few taller and some smaller, some skinny. They were um, different in different positions, they're all staring at him. So it wasn't it wasn't just one. There was a whole little crowd of them there. And he said they had uh, cone-shaped hats, pointy ears, and he felt himself that they were earth creatures. Um, they were black in color but had sort of a pale white glow around them. Um, their eyes pulsed colors. And um, he has felt them try to attempt to contact him again. That's the the uh, strange part. Usually at sunset there, I feel a bit uneasy, he said. I'm not out in the early morning anymore, but I do feel like there's still a link available if I wanted to pursue it. But he's decided he doesn't want to pursue it. And that's an interesting point, too, because many people, um, you know, they'll join groups, they'll join glob- clubs, they'll, they'll try and see these creatures their whole life, spend a lot of time, and and never will. And sometimes the people that do see it do not feel like they were lucky. They feel like, why did it pick me? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they'll have bad dreams about it. They, they'll say, not a day goes by that I don't have some sort of remembrance of this incident and really often wish it hadn't happened to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them twice. So the Little people? Yeah. Oh, that's really great. Yeah. So, I, and are you are you happy about it? I'm just curious whether you, which camp you fall into. Are you glad you saw them, or wish you never had? Um, uh, it's kind of down the middle, I suppose. I'm, I'm more confused than than. Uh, well, I always ask the question why they 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 obviously presented themselves to me. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the first one didn't want us to see it. It tried to uh, hide. Um, ah. The second one. Um, went out of his way to present himself to me. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always put it down to Irish. I've got high Irish uh, heritage. Um, I do I, too. <laughs> yeah, and I just wondered if there's a link there with, with obviously, the leprechauns, the fairies, etc., uh, the wee folk, uh, and and seeing these things, I don't know. 
Well, there is a, a, a British Isle, British um, area, maybe it's Irish, where there's a, a lot, really long named creature that can look either like a Bigfoot or like a small, one of the small little people. He can change back and forth and it's like a five syllable name. I can't remember it exactly. Um, and I think that's more in Ireland. Um, so there is that, but I, I confess that in the last chapter of this book, I told about my own encounters with Bigfoot. Here I am trying to suss out a dog man yeah. for t- three years. And when I do get to see something, it's Bigfoot, which I'm not complaining about. Um, I'm sort of glad that I did see them, but, um, they, they started getting a little cheeky and, you know, showing up, you know, a little too ho- close to home. I won't get into all that, but I did put those, and I, I held this back for a while. It was about, um, five or six years ago. And I thought, well, people are going to say, oh, sure, that's convenient for her because she writes books about these things and now she sees them well. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't have control, you know, from my point of view. Once these things um, are aware of you, aware that you're looking for them, they can show themselves when they want to. And I think um, that may be sort of an, an opening. There are other people who bear that thought out. And John Keel is one and, yeah. and many others. But I did put it in the book. You know, I talked about it with my editor. And I said, well, I don't feel that I can in good conscience keep asking other people to share their stories if I'm not willing to step out and say, yeah, I saw one too. Actually, I saw what I think was the same one three times okay. within a space of a year. So, yeah, but you do question. I do think about it a lot. I, I mean, are you, you willing to tell a little bit of that now or are you saving that for the book? Um, well, it, it, it's in the book. Um, I had, before the actual sightings, I had a really kind of mind-blowing encounter where a 35-foot long living oak branch was twisted off a tree right about maybe 150 feet from me from where I was standing. It was in the Kettle Moraine Southern Forest. And um, that, if you go to lindagodfrey.com and into the search box type um, Bigfoot branch, you can see photos and the whole thing is is told in, you know, full length. I won't get into that here. But the, the other three, the other three were... Um, doing different things in a certain area adjacent to the Kettle Moraine State Forest. And each time it was something different, each time for a different reason I did not have a camera held up in front of me. Um, And each time it was looking at me, almost as if it wanted to speak. Yeah, so um, it's... I mean, it'll t- it would take me a long time to explain what they're doing, and it is it is in the book. But um, the, one of the maybe most chilling ones, I think, was the one where I just I ran out of my house. I lived very, very near there. I ran out of my house just to the spur of the moment to have a quick walk in the morning, and um, I came up to this place where there are usually sandhill cranes nesting. And I looked and there was um, this black, roundish, furred head and shoulder sticking up from the four-foot-tall hay or grass that was in the center of this field. And I had looked there first because that's where the cranes nested. And I soon realized, my mental 
imagery is running through its list of what this could possibly be. And the sun was behind it, so I could not see the face. It was a uniform, soft, almost black color, kind of like a the deepest charcoal you could get, and stood out very strongly against the, the grass. And I looked over at the fence post to see if I could be seeing a fence post by mistake. And the, they were much smaller, and they were gray and you know partly straight. So I looked back at the figure, and as soon as I did that, it slowly lowered itself straight down into the grass like it was crouching. Yeah. And at that point, I felt, I know what that is. There's no other possible thing it could be. And so I just slowly turned around and then walked home as fast as I could. <laughs> well, can't blame me for that. I had no camera with me, so. No, I mean, most people don't uh, tend to walk around with a camera in their hand. Don't I? I, but saying that, though, I think that a lot of this um, nowadays, you know, with dashboard cams and uh, GoPros and that, I think we will start seeing a lot more. Um, I hope so. I have a dash, I have a dash cam. Yeah. And so, so far I haven't got anything but deer on it, but at least I know it can catch things and record them. So mm, one of these days. Do you have one facing backwards as well? Um, I don't, but I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. And it's yeah. something that I'm, I'm planning to implement. Yeah, in case someone comes running out behind you, because they tend to, don't they? They and, do. Uh, they do that. But saying that, though, this, they, I, mean, you, I mean, obviously you've come across a lot of these reports as well, but they, they, they tend to know if you've got... Um, they seem to know in, almost... They can read your intentions. They know if you've got a camera. They know if you've got a gun. Um, even if it's concealed, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then they, they tend not to show themselves at that point. I mean, obviously hunters do are into these things, um, but their intentions are mostly focused on what they're their prey, um, right. rather than and these killing. creatures. So right, and, and killing, and not not everybody's. I mean, not everybody who takes a gun into the woods is intent on killing a bigfoot. You know, if that's what they're looking for, it's usually for self protection, mm. mostly. Right. Mostly from other things. We have a lot of wildlife on this continent. Oh, yeah, you do there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, up to recently, the only things you could get bit by in this country was uh, an adder and a, and a mosquito. So Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you went out in the woods, you know. So. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, have you got any particularly favorite stories that you'd like to share for the book? Um. Oh, boy, there are so many... Interesting ones. Um, there's a dogman dog one. There's a dogman one. There, yeah, there's one um, that is called The Witchy Wolf of Omer Plains. And that took place in, in Michigan, over on the eastern coast side of Michigan. And it's a place that I was able to go a couple of times and, and research and uh, talk with their librarians and historians. But there was an urban legend that sprang up around the uh, 50s or so that if uh, young people particularly drove their cars out to a certain spot on Omer Plains, which was kind of a big meadow-like area surrounded by pines that sort of whistled, that they would hear the whistling of what they called the witchy wolf, which which was said to be, have been... Um, a Native American guardian spirit that was set there because there were sacred um, burial mounds in the area and places where battles had, had uh, taken place. And uh, 
that if you got out of the car, you were risking your life. And, of course, lots of people had very scary tales to tell. Well, I learned that there was more to this than just the modern urban legend style um, car car knocker, as they, as they call them, where they're knocking on the car door and, and scaring people inside. Yeah. And that um, I received some documents, which I'm not sure. And I go through explaining these documents where there are places that give me pause, you know, because uh, I think some of them have been been embellished. But supposedly this all started in the Civil War days when um, the son of some uh, people who lived there in, in Omer, was uh, the name of the village, um, went off to war and his remains were sent back to them. And it was the wrong time of year to try and bury something in Michigan. So they had um, an, a proper burial and did more in the spring. But they went out to the cemetery right at the edge of this pine forest. And where they had dug in a little bit, um, there was something living in this place. Um, a mother wolf with several cubs leaped out at them, snarling, just leaped out of this this um, semi-hole that they had started digging and sat there and howled, and they could hear other wolves answering her howl in the woods around them. And uh, rather than cleaning up the grave sites and doing other things, they just took their utensils and, and beat it for home. And there were lots of things... Um, that I was able to find, for one thing, all the people who were mentioned in the articles, I was able to go back into old newspapers and verify, and genealogy reports, verify that people by that name did live in that town at that time and, and that they had the uh, occupations that were listed as being their occupations. So there were lots of corroborations um, that made it hard not to believe in it. And what the soldier died of, um, was supposed supposed to have been what was called scor- either scorbutus or scorbutus. I've heard both pronunciations. And today we would call it scurvy. There was a huge lack of, of uh, vitamins in those Civil War camps. Yeah. And that's what he actually uh, died from at the time. So ha- having the chance to corroborate so many things, and then you hear this story that's been around you know, for 150 years, um, it's hard not to think that there's really something to it. Indeed. Yeah. So, um, have you got any other stories? I mean, you don't cover uh, UFOs in this book, no? Um, not so much in this one because, uh, with the exception of, there was a Native American tale that I included because it talked about... Um, kind of the, the voyage of this Native American man many centuries ago who was in a clearing and saw this strange object come down from the sky and it landed and a door opened and these um, different looking but beautiful maidens came out and they were performing different um, possibly scientific functions. Um, they were um, doing you know incomprehensible things and there's there's a long story with it. He ended up marrying one of them. And the thing, the thing that was interesting was that, um, he was taken inside this, this, uh, airborne vehicle and actually taken places. And he, he learned that its propulsion was powered by sound. And the only way that he, they could get it to, to move and to 
left off again was that they had to all, these um, ladies had to all coordinate and sing this interesting type of song. Maybe it was a humming type of thing, and then it would lift up. Oh. And I, I looked that up, and I found out um, there would have been no way for anybody recording these, this very early tale to know this, but there now are many experiments going on with craft powered by sound, vibrations. In fact, I saw a new one just the other day listed in, in one of the science magazines. So, um, you know, that's that's another, when I find these little corroborations or verifications of things that you, you read in the, the stories, the encounter stories, or even the myth, and you think, oh, this is, you know, silly, this is not possible, whatever. And then you find a corroboration of somebody who's doing that very thing. Um, you just have, again, you know, to me that's what the book is about, is, is finding these associations and reasons to keep searching through and, and find other truths, perhaps, in, in the final analysis. It does seem like there's almost... Um a thread running through all these um, accounts, you know, whether yes. it be Dogman, UFOs. Uh, I'm not saying that Bigfoot's from, it comes from the UFO, I don't know, but there does seem to be some sort of correlation between them all, um, mm-hmm. uh, which does fascinate me uh, as to why. But then you don't know if it's just uh, particular regions that they're interested in or, or you know, who knows. Oh. So many of these creatures have been around and recorded ever since the earliest civilizations. You know, you go back to Samaria and you find so many things that started there, and and Egypt, yeah. of course, Anubis, and we've been, and then in North America, if you know where to look, you can find. I demonstrated this in, uh, I think, Monsters Among Us or else, my American Monsters, that there are things that look like upright canines carved into rock pictures in the American. Uh, west and southwest and how is everybody seeing these same things you know when you've got populations that are isolated to themselves often you know for many thousands of years and then you dig up their burial and here they've got um a bird man so uh it, it they seem to be just part of humanity in some way and I, I think that's the final question that i would like to see how how is it that we are all united in depicting these photos, or not photos, or pictographs, or sculptures, whatever form they be found in. Mm. I mean, do you think in the near future we will see one of these creatures uh, brought forward, either dead or alive? You know, it's just impossible to say. I, mm. I wish I could know. You know, I like you say, I have, I have um, hope. Hopes for the dash cams and the GoPros and the better and better um, photography that we have. But we should have had more already. That's what keeps bothering me because with the tan mountain lions, for instance, and even, and even some of the black ones, a mountain lion will show up. It doesn't care if there's a camera. Um, bears, you can see yeah. YouTube video, videos of bears smashing into people's houses. There were two, I think, just in the last week headed for the kitchen. They don't care if you're taking their picture. Any of these things, you know, I've had unseen creatures go to huge lengths to foil my trail cam and bend it back, bend the branch backwards or, you know, whatever foolproof, whatever foolproof method I think I've dreamed up, they can thwart it, take the bait and leave. And that's just not normal behavior. 
No, that shows, you know, a high degree of intelligence. Um, intelligence, as in uh, understanding of its surroundings and uh, what you might be able, what you might be trying to achieve. I suppose. Um, it, it it does beg the question, like, why don't they want us to know that they right. exist? You know. Exactly, and yet they go out of their way to stand in front of our cars on the highway or yeah. chase our cars on the highway. So, <laughs> I, I do, I do wonder on, on those accounts though whether they appreciate our um, our lack of vision, especially night vision. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes think that we approach them, uh, and, and they sort of think that the game's up. You know, they think they've almost been spotted. Um, they probably don't, don't not quite aware that we haven't got the night vision that they have. Um, right. You know, I thought of that too. You know. Yeah. How much do they understand about us? But they seem to know, you know, what you're up to when you're going in the woods and put trail cams up. So uh, they certainly know which way it faces and uh, and all the rest of it. So it's interesting um, and strange, highly strange. Um, well, uh, that's the name of the game is strange. Well, I imagine you're going to get many, many more uh, encounters uh, going forward because uh, this phenomenon is only going to grow as people dare to speak about it. Um, and obviously, with the work you're doing and others, and these people feel they've got an, uh, you know somewhere to to get this message out. So, um, mm-hmm. I just have to say thank you very much for joining me again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That's no, a pleasure, honestly. And uh, do you just want to tell people where they can get the book and then do you want to mention that film again as well? Yes. Um, you can go to lindagodfrey.com. No W's or anything. Just lindagodfrey.com. And um, there's a main page and then there's a, an about page where you, you can find out um, where what books there are and, and they're easily obtainable. And then you can also go on YouTube or Facebook to Return to Wildcat Mountain. Sands Wildcat Mountain. Okay, I'm going to look at that in a minute. I'm waiting for Andy to bring the book back. We have got the book. Um, I know what I saw, and uh, well, as soon as he brings it back, I'm going to get into it, get stuck into it. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the okay. last book that we had, uh, Monsters Among Us, that was fantastic. Um, Thanks so much. And um, I, I don't think you get enough credit for your for your art as well. I think you're you're a very talented artist. Well, that actually was my original vocation. Was I had a art and art education degree so um it's it's kind of fun to be able to illustrate my own books yeah indeed yeah but people should go out and check the website out and, and have a look at your your artwork especially when you, you you know you draw the dog man in situations and stuff i think it's really cool so thank you indeed well thank you very much for joining me and have a, a great uh, rest of the weekend you too and thanks to all of your listeners as well no worries thank you you're welcome okay i hope you really enjoyed that okay if you get a chance check out the facebook page check out the patreon and you know come and say hello send us an email let us know your stories we're still collecting my weird stories they're going out on the next few shows hopefully um so if you've got any send them to us um at supernaturalpod at gmail.com Obviously, the links are in the description. So, that being said, have a great week, and we will see you on the other side.
Well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights, other stars for us to watch. They'll be back. Hey, 